Good. Grab your message notes. We are, this is our second Sunday of Advent. We're doing Advent this year. Each Sunday we're talking about a different theme leading up to the celebration of the birth of Christ, but also leading up to and preparing for the second coming of Christ. He came once and he said, I'm coming back. So we're, we're preparing for that one as well. So the question is this, when, when you know that something awesome is going to happen, you're not quite sure when, but you have a really good idea of what it is and you're excited about it. What do you do while you're waiting? It hasn't happened yet, but you know it's going to. So what do you do? I mean, you have anticipation, you have expectation, and you're really patient or not, during this time of waiting, right? And, and, but you know it's going to be good when it actually gets here. And then, you, I guess you could say, what do I do to make the most of it? First of all, the most of the waiting, but what can I do to make the most of whatever it is that's going to happen so I can get the full benefit of this and, and experience it to the fullest? What do I do during that time? So what we're doing is we're tying in the Advent time, celebration of the original Christmas, and also talking about the second coming of Jesus when he comes back again. So the first one, 2,000 years ago, uh, during the first Advent, they were, you know, the people, they, they knew something was going to happen. They knew there was going to be a Messiah. But Jesus, or God, sent someone to, to help prepare the people for the Messiah coming. Because up to that point, the only thing that the children of Israel, the people, had was Scripture. They had Old Testament, they had prophecy telling them that there was going to be a Messiah, and then they had hope. That's all they had. They had Scripture, they had hope. And then comes along John the Baptist. God sent someone along to prepare them. And here's what it says in Luke chapter 3. It says, As it is written in the book of the words Isaiah the prophet, a voice of one calling in the desert, prepare the way for the Lord, make straight paths for him. So John the Baptist comes along. He was Jesus' cousin. He was about six months older than Jesus. And so when they, when, when they both became adults, John the Baptist started a ministry, his ministry of preaching and going throughout basically the, the wilderness area. He didn't do a lot in the cities, in the wilderness. People came out to hear him. And, and so he would preach and he would teach. He, he called people to repentance. He would baptize people. And, and, and he kept telling them, look, I'm preparing the way for the Messiah to come. And, and so during that time, like we talked about last week, is people were constantly living in hope or expecting the Messiah. They didn't know what he was going to be like. In their mind, they thought this Messiah, this Savior, was going to come and save them from the evil Roman Empire. He's going to be a political leader. He's going to be a military leader. He's going to come and make it all right. We're going to be a free and happy people again. It didn't work out that way. He was somebody different. But here's what it says in Luke 3. Okay, a few verses later than the other one we just read. It says, everyone was expecting the Messiah to come soon. 
and they were eager to know whether John might be that Messiah. John answered their questions by saying, look, I baptize with water, but someone is coming soon who is greater than I am, so much greater that I'm not even worthy to be his slave or untie the straps of his sandals. He will baptize with the Holy Spirit and with fire. In other words, he's going to be awesome. I'm not, but he is. And so though John was not the Messiah, because up to that point, during that 400-year period uh, between the Old and New Testament, there were constantly people, Jews, rising up, and they tried to conquer their enemies, and the people would think, they're the Messiah. They're the Messiah. They came to rescue us, and they weren't. So John comes along and says, well, he's a little bit different. He speaks with some authority. Maybe he's it. He says, no, I'm not it, but I'm preparing the way for him. I'm warning you. I'm giving you a clue. He's coming, and he's following right close behind me is what he said. And here's the thing. Other than John the Baptist, his mother and father, Elizabeth and Zechariah, and Jesus and his parents, Mary and Joseph, they're one of the only ones in the whole place that knew who Jesus really was and that he truly was the Messiah that was coming. So John's like, everybody needs to know, I'm preparing the way, making way uh, for the Messiah to come, which is different than us today. See, we have a big advantage because the Messiah, Jesus, is coming again. He's coming back. But we don't just have script, Old Testament prophecy. We have the whole New Testament. We have scripture that tells us that he's coming. Matter of fact, we have Jesus' own words many times. He told his followers and he told the people, he says, look, I might be here now and I'm going to do some amazing things and I'm going to save you and bring salvation and eternal life, but don't, don't get too comfortable because I am coming back. And that's going to be awesome. And he kept telling them. This. So we have this today. To know that Jesus is coming. And because of that, the reason that is so awesome and so powerful is because when we know that, we embrace that, it gives us hope and peace for everything that we go through today in life. If you're going through a really, really difficult time, if your life, if everything in your life, or if maybe it just starts and things are just collapsing in on you and you're going, God, where are you? God, are you ever going to help me? God, what, what is going to happen? You can know, even though things are difficult, that Jesus is coming back soon, sometime. So if we know that, what do we do in the meantime? The question is for all of us, how do we prepare ourselves for that moment when Jesus shows up and takes us with him, when he comes back and makes everything right? Well, even in Jesus' own words, he tells us what to do, part of it. In Matthew 13, he says this, he says, no one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen. What things? Leading up to his coming back. When these will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself, only the Father knows. And since you don't know when that time will come, here's what he says. 
be on guard, stay alert, and I say to you, as I say to everyone, watch for him. So that's what we do. Be on guard, stay alert, watch for Jesus, knowing that he's coming back again. And then, I didn't put this in your notes, but in Matthew chapter 25, okay, chapters 24 and 25 of Matthew is a big one of his sermons on when he's coming back, on his coming back. And in 25, he tells three very powerful stories, parables, about the importance of people being prepared for his return. So it's that big of a deal. He wants us to be ready. He wants us to be aware that he is coming back and that it could be any time. So what do I do? Okay, i got several things for you this morning. I'd like to write these down. We're going to just dive right in. And the first one is this. The very first thing is I need to embrace the first coming of Christ. I need to start there. And it's not just I need to believe or think about or agree with the fact that, yeah, that was Jesus who came. Yeah, he was awesome. He was born in a... You know, not just that we believe the details of the story of Christmas... What's really important is that we believe in and we embrace the whom of Christmas, the person of Christmas, and that is Jesus Christ. Acts 16.31 says this, Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. John uh, 6.36, Jesus says this, Anyone who believes in God's Son has eternal life. Over a hundred verses in just the New Testament alone talks about the fact that in order for us to be prepared and to participate in the second coming of Jesus Christ, you have to believe in Jesus who came the first time. That is the qualifier for it. If you don't get that one right, you don't get the second one. If you don't believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you embrace him and, you, and he, he lives in your life, your heart, he dwells, and you live in him, that second coming is going to be a bummer. So first thing we do to prepare for his second coming is to be, embrace his first coming. Number two is I need to be discerning and wise. Okay, discerning and wise. What does that mean? <laughs> you can write this on the side if you want. Pay attention. Just pay attention. Pay attention to the things that are happening in the world. Pay attention to the things that are happening in, in your world. Be aware of what the Bible says about the times that are happening in the world, especially right now. There's a lot of things happening in the world around us. And sometimes we scratch our head and go, um, what is this all about, right? Well, here's what Paul says. He writes to the church in Thessalonica. And he says this, For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep as others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. Where, what is it, where is this scripture located? What is the context of this? This is right in the middle of Jesus telling the church in Thessalonica, and then he tells them to spread this 
this letter to all the other churches about the return of Jesus Christ and us going to be with him. And he says this, he says, look, be aware, be clear-minded about all of this. Now, to be aware doesn't mean you have to be, don't <laughs> be glued to the news. And don't be so engrossed in our culture. Because that's very discouraging, isn't it? <laughs> okay? But we need to have our eyes and our ears open. Here's the thing. If a person does not have Scripture, then we don't know the why of everything that is happening in the world right now. But here's the other thing. Even if you have Scripture and you're not reading it, okay? You got a Bible in the, you know, your countertop. You got a Bible in the bedroom. You got a Bible in your desk, wherever. But you're not reading it. You still don't know the why of what's happening in the world right now. But if you take Scripture and you read it and you study it, especially prophecy, did you know that almost a third, about 29, 30% of the Bible is prophecy? Talking about the future, whether it's the, 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 the future of their time or the future of the end. If you're not studying that, but if you are, you will, you will have this, you'll, you'll know the why. And you'll look around and you're going, this is happening and that's happening. And oh, oh wow, man, it's horrible. But guess what? It's, it's right in here. It's exactly the way God says things are going to be someday. And I can have this peace and this comfort that says, you know what? God's got it. <laughs> God's got it, and I can have this hope. And I can have a peace. Matthew 24, here's what Jesus says. He says, what, what sign? This is the disciples asked this question first. They said, what sign will signal your return and the end of the world? They, they want to know, right? Is it like next week? What, what should we be looking for? And he says this. He says, don't let anyone mislead you, for many will come in my name claiming, I'm the Messiah, and they'll deceive many. Then if, if anyone tells you, look, here's the Messiah, or there he is, don't believe it. For false messiahs and, prophet, and false prophets will rise up and perform many great signs and wonders as to deceive you. Now let's stop for there for a moment. I know this has happened all throughout history, but especially as the time gets closer, you're going to see, I would say, even, quote, biblical leaders and biblical prophets are going to make some claims. They'll even do miracles, says they'll do signs and wonders. They're going to do things that you're going to go, oh, wow. They must be for real because look what they're doing. Look at the results of what they're doing. It must be from God and it's not gonna be and they're gonna lead many it says then it, it says and if possible even God's chosen ones then he says see I have warned you about this ahead of time so folks do not do not be sidetracked do not be sidelined don't be distracted by people who come and say certain things as if they're the chosen ones, as if they've got the final word. And, and, and even if they do some amazing things, and you go, wow, <laughs> you must be it. 
until it's Jesus Christ himself when we're in his presence, they're not it. Even John the Baptist wasn't it. Jesus himself tells us exactly. And here's what you need to know. Listen, listen very carefully to this here. God does not operate in randomness or coincidence. What does that mean? It means that God is very purposeful in everything that he does and in everything that he allows. What does that mean? It means God is sovereign. Everything, everything that happens in the world, especially right now, when you look around and you're going, God, do you, uh, did you watch the news, God? Do you see what's happening? <laughs> God, do you know what's going on? God, do you have this one? Did this one catch you by surprise? What, what is happening? <laughs> God's got it all in control of everything. He's in control. Nothing happens by accident. Nothing happens without his knowing. Nothing happens without his allowing. Because it all is pointing to one thing. The return of Jesus Christ. You can know that and have confidence in that. And every day you wake up and something new and crazier than the day before happens. You can say, okay, God, I guess this must be another one. You got this one too. I don't like it, it's crazy, but I can have confidence in you and not in what's going on around me. Several times Paul tells the, his churches that he writes to, he says, don't, don't be deceived, don't be caught off guard, and don't be led astray. So the question then for us is, well, how can I position myself so that I don't, I don't fall for these things, so I'm not easily led astray by all sorts of things that are happening, things people say, even, even great people. We all look up to some of these people. They're, they're teachers, they're prophets, they're all these things. What do I do to stay focused on what God's really doing? Number three is I need to be committed to the truth. I need to be committed to the truth so that I don't get led astray by the lies all around us right now. You know, as we are moving forward in time, truth becomes more and more diluted and despised, doesn't it? I mean, people hate the truth. I mean, they're just, they will argue, they will, they will hate you for speaking up in the tr with the truth. Because, here, here, follow me on this one, because... Truth, the truth means, okay, if something is true, if there is the truth, that means that there is right and there is wrong. Are you with me? Because if something is true, then something that is not true is a lie. It's false. And people don't want to believe that because they don't want to be wrong, heaven forbid, that I be wrong about anything. So in order for me to always be right, what do I do? I deny that there's truth. That way I'm always right. And if you disagree with me, you're the one that's wrong. Is where we're at in our world today. But Jesus says in John 8, 32, you will know the truth 
And the truth will what? It'll set you free. <laughs> you wonder why there's a lot of people in bondage these days, right? And then Jesus said one time as he was praying to the Father in John chapter 17, he says to God, his Father, he says, your word is truth. God's word is truth. The Bible is truth. Everything in here is the truth. It is true. It is the truth. This is when you're looking for answers, when you're looking for what to do in life, when you're looking for, for the way to go, it is all in here. Sometimes you have to do a little bit of digging, and sometimes it's right there on the pages. But that's what it's for. Just look up 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. Write that in your notes and then go look it up. But here's the thing. The point is, there is truth. And truth is absolute. Truth is non-negotiable. And truth is timeless. Many people would tell you, well, it might have been truth back then. Two, three, four thousand years ago when the Bible was written by people. But we have learned a lot in the meantime. We've become enlightened. And we know so much more. So why do you rely on this ancient biblical manuscript? <laughs> because it is still the same truth as it was yesterday, today, and it will be forever. All the time. And here's what uh, the point is. If you're not committed to the truth, you're going to fall for anything. And sadly, many people have. Even, even churches, even people in the church have fallen for, for the lies of our culture. And here's what Paul says to Timothy. He says, for a time is coming when people will no longer listen to sound and wholesome teaching. They will follow their own desires and, and will look for teachers who will tell them whatever their itching ears want to hear. They will reject the truth and chase after myths. What are myths? Well, basically, they're made-up lies to accommodate people's delusions. Think about that one for a moment. How much of what is being taught, being spoken in our world today, are just outright lies that help people deal with their delusions? And you're going, <laughs> I mean, sometimes you don't have the word for the stupidity that's out there, right? You're just going, where did you get that? Why do you think that? It's like, that is so, you finish it, I don't know, whatever. Because when you abandon the truth, anything goes in some people's minds. Second Thessalonians, Paul says this. In 2.10, they refuse to love and accept the truth that would actually save them. So here's the thing. You're either going to stand with and for the truth, or you're going to be enslaved by the lies of our culture. One or the other. There's a pretty clear line between those. We get to choose. Number four, the fourth thing I can do to prepare for the coming of Christ is don't lose hope. Right? Don't lose hope. 
this is a this is a difficult one because especially when 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 things don't go the way I think they should. When I'm when I'm looking forward to something, you know, something's up ahead and I may not know the it, it can be anything in life and you don't know exactly the when, but you know the what. And, and, and in your mind, you've already planned out. You made this sort of mental and emotional plan that you said, you know what? This and this and this and this is going to happen and then this. <laughs> and all of a sudden, this starts going off track. And what do you do? Pretty soon you go, oh, well, maybe what I was hoping for down here isn't actually going to happen because things are not lining up the way I thought they would and was hoping they would so we're like well I guess I guess that's not going to happen after we lose hope we lose momentum we lose hope and we say things like well why is it taking so long right is this thing ever going to happen and because when when it hasn't happened yet when something you're really looking forward to hasn't happened yet then we begin to doubt don't we? Is this thing really going to happen? Was I misled? Am I believing something that just isn't true? Because it has taken so much longer than I thought it would. Then they told me it would. Or here's the thing. Just because it hasn't happened yet doesn't mean it won't. Actually, if it would have happened, we wouldn't be here talking about it. We wouldn't have to, right? So the fact that it didn't, here we are. We're talking about it. Hopefully we're encouraged about it. And we're preparing for it. And we don't want to lose hope. Here's what, here's what it says in Mark 13. Jesus says, however, I'm going to read this again. I read it before, but I think it's very relevant. No one knows the day or the hour when these things will happen, not even the angels in heaven or the Son himself. Only the Father knows. And since you don't know when the time will come, be on guard Stay alert. In other words, don't lose hope is what Jesus tells. Even back then, I mean, he, was, he was warning them. You guys, you know, everything I told you, I mean, there's a lot of stuff's going to have to happen before I come back. So in your waiting, don't lose hope because what I'm telling you is true. And I think he would say the exact same thing if Jesus in person was standing here this morning and he was encouraging you and teaching today. He was saying, everybody, <laughs> don't lose hope. I'm coming back soon. Of course, if he was here, he would have come. Now, anyway, he's, he's coming back soon. Don't lose hope. All these things have to happen, and everything's happening just the way it's supposed to. And then I will come back. It's what he tells us. Titus 2.13 says, we look forward with hope. To that wonderful day when the glory of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, will be revealed. That day, we look forward. That's what Advent's about. Advent is about ex where when we expectantly wait and we anticipate and we prepare for the coming of Jesus Christ. They did the first time, and now we're doing it for the second time. Number five. This is a really big one. I'm just going to get to the bare bones of this one. Uh, I live a life that honors God. I live a life that honors God. Basically, it's where 
where we live a life of obedience and holiness. Okay, we don't live a frivolous life. We don't live a, you know, we don't say even though I'm saved, I'm going to do my own thing because Jesus is coming back. He's forgiven me. His grace is going to cover me. So I'm just going to do whatever I want till he comes back and know that I'm in. (laughs) No, don't do that. In second, second Peter three verse fourteen, I put fifteen in your notes, but it's actually verse fourteen. You, you can uh, correct that. And he says, "So, dear friends, while you are waiting for these things to happen, these things, the things that he that he prophesies are going to happen before the coming of Christ, he says, make every effort to be found living peaceful lives that are pure and blameless in His sight." So, what does that mean? So for, this is important. You spend your time and your life being right with God and being right with people. Being at peace with God at being at peace with people. Because time is so... Sh- even even the, our life, even if Christ doesn't come back in our lifetime... Life is still short. Would you agree? I mean, every day it seems like it's getting shorter and shorter, quicker and quicker. Folks, we don't have time to waste. We don't have time to be at odds with other people and be, and be angry with other people and be forgiving of other people and, and, and have holding grudges against other people. We don't have time for that. It, it's time for all of us to be at peace with one another. If, if there's someone in your life that you need to forgive, now's the time to do it. If there's someone in your life that you're at odds with and you, just, you haven't talked for a long time, have a conversation. Make it right. You may not resolve everything, but at least start the process. Do what you can to make, like, like Paul says, to do everything you can to be at peace with everyone. I know some people are very difficult, okay? I'm talking about your part. You do your part. And especially as we're coming on Christmas, now's a good time, right? Especially when you got to spend a couple meals with them over the holidays. It'd be good to get it right before you get there, right? You with me? Okay? And the other part, too, is not just with people, but it's with God. This is where you, you don't, flirt with sin you have an attitude that i'm not gonna allow anything in my life that god disapproves of i'm not gonna i'm gonna do the best i can to not sin and i'm gonna not make excuses for sin now i know we're human we're imperfect god's grace is there he forgives us but we do our very best to live a holy and pure and righteous life who God has already made us to be. Are you with me on that? Okay, that's a very important part of preparing for the return of Christ. Number six is we need to encourage one another. Encourage each other. We're going to need a lot of it. Some of you need a lot of it today. Hopefully, Hopefully this is helping a little bit. Paul often talked about when he was writing to the different churches, especially when he was uh, writing specifically about the, the second coming of Christ, right? 
He says, I'm writing you these things about Jesus coming back not to scare you, not to alarm you, not to confuse you, not even to predict when he's coming. But I'm writing these to you to comfort you, to encourage you, and for you to encourage each other as well. Look what he says in 1 Thessalonians. That'd be first, not second. Thessalonians 5.11. He says, that's why you must encourage one another and help each other just as you are already doing. Why? Because Jesus is coming back and things are going to get really tough before that. And there's another verse, I just, I didn't put it in your notes, but in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24 and 25, the author of Hebrews says, look, you need to spur one another on toward love and good deeds, and you must encourage each other, and you must not neglect meeting together as, as the church family. You need to meet together and encourage each other all the more as you see the day approaching. What does it mean when, when the Bible tells us the day? The second coming of Christ. Folks, we should be the most encouraging people to one another. Every time we see each other, every time we're together, it, it should, we should be an encouragement to each other. And, and my heart and my desire, my prayer, is that this Advent season, this Christmas season, be the most encouraging time of your life. Not just because we celebrate Jesus coming at Christmas. Because we anticipate Jesus coming again. And we're ready. We're preparing for that moment. Okay, number seven, last one. And this is where I live every day as if it was the day. I live every day as if it was the day, with a capital T, H, and E. You know, if we're not careful, we can fall into the category of complacency, right? Especially, you know, we're looking forward to it. You've been reading about it. You've been anticipating, you know, the coming Christ. And you're like, oh, this could be it. Or, oh, look what's happening here. Maybe it's here. And it isn't. I mean, we're still here, right? It's still a future thing. And the longer it takes and the longer we're sort of waiting for it, it's like, is it ever going to happen? And it can be discouraging. And, and it can be the kind of thing, well, what, what's the use? I'm spending a lot of mental, emotional, and spiritual energy thinking and hoping and praying that Jesus is coming back soon. It's, it's hard work, right? Or it's what we tell ourselves anyways. But here's the thing. When we live every day with the expectation that today could be the day, it could. Then what happens is we see everything around us through the eyes of hope, eyes of peace, eyes of it's going to be okay. It doesn't matter how bad it gets. It doesn't matter how bad things are in my life. Do I need to deal with them? I need to deal with them. I need to take care of them. I need to walk through whatever it is I'm walking through. 
but in the back of my mind, maybe even the front of my mind, I know that Jesus is coming back. And it could be. This could be really, really soon. We live that way. It says in Matthew 25, Jesus says to disciples several times in this chapter, he says, so my disciples always be what? Be ready, always be ready. You don't know the day nor the time when all of this will happen. Be ready all the time. Heard someone say a while back, said plan as if Jesus isn't coming back for a hundred years, but live like it's today. Make plans, of course. Make plans for the future. This is wise, right? But live your life as if he's coming back today and I need to make the most of every moment. Because think about it. If you knew, if you knew that Friday morning at 9 o'clock, Jesus was coming back. And that would be exciting. Would you still have some things you needed to do? Probably, right? If you knew you were going to physically die Friday morning at 9 o'clock, there's some things you'd want to make right before that, wouldn't you? I need to tell some people. There's some people don't know about Jesus. I need to tell them. There's some things I need to I square away with people. There's an urgency about doing things that need to be done for the kingdom, not for yourself. Okay, don't go get a bunch of money out of the bank. You know, I'm a, you're not taking it with you. It doesn't matter, okay? You won't need it. Remember what the streets are made out of when we get to heaven? Gold, really good stuff, okay? But you will be spending it with each other and with Jesus. And we need to be ready. Matter of fact, the title of the sermon this morning is Live Ready. Every moment, any moment, he could come back. I'm not predicting a thing. I'm just saying he is. And let's anticipate and let's be excited about the fact that, yes, he is. How do I prepare? The very first thing, the best thing you can do this morning is to know deep down in your heart, your mind, your soul, that if it were, you would 100% be ready and you would go with him. Because you have believed in the Jesus who came 2,000 years ago, the first time he came. You've embraced it. You believe in him. You've accepted his forgiveness, his love, his grace, salvation, and you've been eagerly waiting for that day. Are you living your life? Yeah, you are. You do what you got to do in life. But you also realize there's going to be a better life up ahead. Amen? Let's stand. Let's pray together.